Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our continuation of our conference breakdown series, and today we're going to talk about the ACC. So Jalen and I are looking at seven teams in the ACC, and we're going to pick our sleeper pick. The top seven teams in the ACC are Louisville, Clemson, Virginia Tech, Virginia, Florida State, Pittsburgh, and Syracuse. Let's talk about Louisville so far. So Louisville has had some great production from the guard position from Carly Jones and David Johnson. Jalen, what are you expecting from Louisville this year? So, I mean, this is a dangerous team in general as an offensive threat. Obviously, it was preached a lot last year that Jordan Nawara obviously was the guy who was averaging about 19 points per game to lead this team. But it wasn't like the other guys on this team can't get buckets. That was something that kept getting misconstrued with the way that Jordan Nawara was scoring and the fact that obviously he was an NBA prospect. Now, David Johnson was a guy who started out slow in the year. And we discussed this when we were talking about guys that we were keeping a lookout for this season as potential potential NBA prospects. And he was one of those guys that I had in the diamond in the rough slash could shoot up the boards um, category for that recording. And so far in 10 games, he's kind of picked up play. He's second, he's second on the team in scoring, averaging nearly 14 points per game. He's averaging 5.7 rebounds and he's second only behind Carly Jones in terms of averaging assists. He has 4.2. So he's a guy right now that is playing relatively well. He's shooting way better from the floor now, 46% from the floor, 45%, nearly 46% from three-point land. And he's getting up there in terms of the free throw percentage because he's shooting nearly 80%. So this is a guy who's going to be asked to do a lot this year as a ball handler and so far has been doing relatively well next to Carly Jones playing in this system as one of the lead guards. Both Carly Jones and David Johnson are double digit scorers with Jones averaging 17 points and Johnson averaging close to 14 points. And you mentioned that David Johnson is picking up a lot of steam in the past 10 games. And I think Jones and Johnson both complement each other in the backcourt. They're both shooting over 40% from the field and over 40% from three. Jones is getting it done on both sides of the floor as he leads the team in assists and steals. But Jalen, we also can't forget about Jalen Withers, who leads the team in rebounds and is a solid shooter from the field. So I feel like with a lot of these factors coming into play for Louisville, this is a team that could honestly make a run in the ACC. And I think Louisville could be the dark horse in the ACC, considering that the top teams right now, like Duke and North Carolina, are not in the top seven in terms of standings. Well, I think it would be kind of underwhelming to label them as a dark horse in the conference, considering they stand at the top. I think they're a scary team coming out the ACC in terms of the tournament, if we're talking about the NCAA tournament overall, because this is a team that last year I think could have really been in the mix to at least make, you know, 
a sweet 16 kind of run. But I still think that even with losing an NBA talent, Jordan Nawara, I think that they still qualify to be that caliber of a team. It's kind of, like I said beforehand, it's a little underwhelming on their end. If they're simply a dark horse in a conference to where they are at the forefront with only one loss and they're ranked number 16 in the country. But at the same time, they are in a position right now where I think a lot of people may be overlooking them because they don't have an NBA talent on the roster, unless you consider David Johnson to be that guy like I do. But they have three guys that are averaging near double digits. And then in terms of uh, Williamson, Withers and Davis, and then obviously, like you mentioned earlier, colleague Jones and David Johnson, both are double digit scorers. So we've got a handful of guys who know how to put the ball in the basket. And I think that that's been able to service them really well so far this year. Yeah. And when I talk about the dark horse, I kind of want to reference last year because Louisville, they had Jordan Awar, who was an NBA talent. And this year their NBA caliber talent is David Johnson. I kind of feel like with Louisville at the top of the standings in the ACC, I don't think anybody really expected that to happen. And, Louisville is a team that is on the rise right now, and it's a good transition to another team on the rise in Clemson, who is second in the ACC in terms of winning percentage in the standings. Jalen, why has Clemson been so good so far? Honestly, I wish I could tell you. When I was looking at Clemson, like, overall as a roster, the funny part about it was, like, you look down the list, and, like, they don't have anything that stands out significantly crazy they don't have a single player averaging averaging three assists everybody they have three players averaging at least two assists but not a single player averages two assists you got a couple of guys who average at least a steal a game I think there's about four guys that have at least a steal um honor averages 1.8 so close to two they have two guys averaging double digits and it's it's sims um it's Sims at forward, Amir Sims, averaging 12.6 points per game. And then, of course, like I said before, um, Nick Honor, who's averaging 10.7 points per game. After that, it kind of gets a little hazy. So I wish I could tell you. Um, I think it just comes down to the fact that some of the primary guys in their rotation shoot relatively well from the floor they've got a handful of guys that shoot north of 45 percent from the floor but they also don't have any world beaters shooting from three honor might be the only one who actually is like a significant shooter outside of hunter tyson who averages uh, about 50 percent from the uh, three-point line but he's not doing it on high attempts and he's only played five games so he can't be the one that's having a ton of influence so Ryan, I honestly wish I could tell you, but I think this Clemson team just plays extremely hard and plays as a complete unit. And I'm sure somewhere in there, considering the defensive numbers for some of these guys with their active hands, I must, I, I, I have to assume, we'd have to really go and delve into the tape, but I have to assume that they're playing relatively well on defense for the year because otherwise, like I said, I could not tell you. This seems like a team effort type of team where there isn't really one star, but there's multiple stars. Amir Sims, who we've talked about, averaging almost 13 and six a game. He's a guy who shoots efficiently from the free throw line, 84%. Nick Honor, who didn't play last year, is averaging 11 points a game, 
almost three assists a game, averaging almost two steals a game. And he's been their best shooter from three. And then we also throw in the fact that Dawes is almost averaging 10 points a game. Trap is averaging close to seven points a game and five rebounds. I feel like that even though they don't have a true star, they're getting it done other ways. Yeah, and I mean, I, I mean, looking back down at some of the box scores for these games, I mean, this is a team that I referenced the defense earlier. It, I mean, when you look at the when you look at the scores, the highest point total they allowed all year was seventy to Purdue, and they still obviously won that game, eighty-one to seventy. The only game that they lost was to Virginia Tech, and that was a sixty-six to sixty ball game. I mean. Outside of that, I mean, we're talking about them. They're coming off of a game in which they won 74 to 70, and that game went to OT. So we're talking about NC State not even scoring anywhere. Both teams actually not even scoring 80 points despite going into an extra an extra uh, little uh, time frame of basketball. So, I, I mean, just looking at the box scores for the game, I, I mean, the way I view it is that they're getting it done on the defensive end, and that's making it really difficult for other teams to put the ball in the basket. And they're converting on limited possessions. It seems like they're slowing the game down and, you know, playing to their strength of holding guys to low field goal shooting percentages, which, like I said, if we really delve into the tape, I'm sure they're doing relatively well on the opposing team's best player. So moving on now to Virginia Tech, who has four players averaging in the double digits in terms of scoring. Jalen, where do you rank Virginia Tech in terms of scoring in the ACC? So they're interesting because of the fact that they've got four guys that all like are averaging double digits and they've got a couple of guys creeping behind that are averaging just over seven points per game. So I think that's where when it comes to specific ranking, I think they're somewhere within the top three to five in terms of overall team scoring. Uh, Kavia Luma is obviously leading the way, 15.6 points per game. He also is chipping in seven rebounds um, at that forward position, and he's shooting 51% from the floor. So that's a really good sign in his um, regard. Throwing, uh, um, throwing it to him most of the time is a guy in Jalen Cohn who, you know, outside of putting the ball in the basket, he does not do very much. But he's been in a lot of actions. He's been involved in a lot of the stuff that they do in terms of ball handling so far this year for the Hokies. And he's shooting 42% from the floor. So I think those, I mean, those two guys at the helm, they're the ones that drive the ship. Tyrese Radford um, is a model of consistency at the guard position as well. He's probably the guy that you would lean on as the primary facilitator if you had to point to one person on this team. And then, of course, there's Naheem Aline averaging 10.2. Uh, points per game on 40% shooting. So I think the biggest thing about them is not that anybody is world beating in terms of averaging gaudy statistics across the board. Aluma might be the guy who stands out the most, averaging 15 and seven. Radford, maybe two, 10, uh, 10 and six. But in terms of a gaudy stat line, like, you know, 18, eight and four, or something like that, nobody is like doing that well across the board is kind of a team effort and a lot of guys are shooting north of 45 percent or at least north of 40 percent from the floor and that efficient scoring is really helping them down the stretch you mentioned aluma is averaging 16 points and seven rebounds he leads the team in both categories jalen cones averaging 13 points a game 
and he's scored in the double digits in every game he's played in except for one game in which that game was against Clemson. Tyrese Radford's averaging 10.5 points a game and almost 6.5 rebounds. He recently put up a double-double, 18 points and 12 rebounds against Duke. And then Naheem Aline is averaging 10 points a game, and he's shown that he can get it done on both sides of the floor. So Virginia Tech is proving that they have a lot of playmakers. And I feel like Virginia Tech's a team that I think is the real dark horse in this situation. I know I said that Louisville is a dark horse because they weren't slated to be the top team in the ACC. Nonetheless, I feel like Virginia Tech is the real uh, dark horse team because they have a lot of guys who can get it done on both sides of the floor. And I feel like they have a great chance of making a run in the ACC, especially in the tournament. Yeah, Virginia Tech's the team. If there was a team that I had a quote-unquote label as like a dark horse for real, like a literal dark horse in the ACC, it would be them because they're definitely the squad that I see um, not too many people really – taking a look at there's obviously bigger names in the ACC right now that are making headways. And I think that's huge, but I think Virginia tech is one of those teams that because of the way they collectively score and the fact that they've got a handful of guys that can do it. I think that they're in a really good position. I think Cone's got to get some more time under his belt. Cause he's the one um, in all of this that's played the least amount of games, only nine games, 19 minutes. So he's a guy that if they can get consistent minutes from moving forward, I think that he can really be a guy that can be like a lead scorer for them when things get kind of dicey in the ACC tournament. So moving on to Virginia, Jalen, what makes you believe that Virginia is a title contender? So I think the only thing that I can really lean on in terms of calling him a title contender is that Sam Hauser is the truth. Um, senior forward, 6'8", 218 pounds. He's averaging 13.8 points to 7.5 rebounds on nearly 50% shooting from the floor. And he's shooting really well from the free throw line for a big as well, 78%. So I think that he's the guy that has to kind of drive this bus. Similar to, uh, to Virginia Tech, this is another team that has four guys averaging double figures. Um, so they're in a really good scenario there. Jay Huff is averaging 12.9 points per game, 5.8 rebounds. He's shooting 65% from the floor, but he's getting all his buckets from up close. So he's just doing his thing around the basket. Got a, got, got a guy in Trey Murphy, the third, 10.9 points. He's shooting 51.4% from the floor. And then you got, last but not least, Kahi Clark, who has been kind of a model of inconsistencies here and there. Um, He's been a guy who, you know, can go for 12 points in two straight games. And then the last couple of games we've seen him in here and there, he's, you know, went from night to went for two straight 19 point games. Um, And then he's kind of tailed off towards the back end of the year, six points, 14 points, no buckets. um, And then nine points in the last game against San Francisco. Um, in terms of what we were looking at starting the year off. So he's a guy who kind of flipped the script. You look at what he does, and it's one of those things where he started the year off really strong, slowed down a little bit, and has kind of picked things up, but hasn't really done too much. So when you look at him, he's a guy who I think if he steps up in the right light, I mean, they could be dangerous. Sam Hauser's really led the way for this team to be successful. 
he's averaging, like you mentioned, just under 14 points a game and seven and a half rebounds. He put up three straight double-doubles versus Notre Dame, Wake Forest, and Boston College. Jay Huff averaging almost 13 and six a game. He's been shooting the ball well from the field at 65%, getting most of his buckets down low. But he's also been shooting the ball well from three, averaging 44%. And then they've gotten consistent scoring production at guard from Troy Murphy and Kahit Clark, who are both averaging close to 11 points a game. I feel like with these four players, they really have the capability to make Virginia a great team. I think Sam Hauser is really the star of this team. And I think if Sam Hauser continues to play the way he's been playing, he could make Virginia a title contender this year. And so I want to backtrack on something with Kahi Clark because I realized that I kind of ended up doing things in the in the wrong order, just looking at the game logs now. What I'm trying to say essentially is that when I say he's consistently inconsistent, it's because he also averaged 10.8 points last season, but he averaged 5.9 assists last year, which was something that I thought was significantly different. This year he's averaging 3.6. I think that they need to put the ball in his hands a little bit more and give him more of an opportunity. What I was trying to say earlier is that he started the season off relatively slow. He had 7-9-0, then he had a burst game with 14 points against Kent State. Then he follows that up with two straight games of 19 points, one of them coming against Gonzaga. Mind you, it probably was a lot of garbage time minutes considering the game was a 23-point blowout. But he also got one of those 19-point games in a relatively close victory over um, Notre Dame, but then slowly tailed off 10 points, 12 points, 12 points in the last couple of games. This is a guy who I think is really capable of being a, a legit ball handler for Virginia, and I think he has to get the ball more in his hands and be a little bit more active as a guy in the offense because he's a guy who... When, when you give him the opportunity, I feel as though it's there. But when you kind of force him to be this off-ball guy, you put him in a position where he can't really cook the way, he, where, the way I think that he's capable of doing. So moving on to Florida State. Jalen, what have you been impressed with the most about Florida State? So I, I'm impressed with two things in particular. The first thing is that MJ Walker has been able to step up in a significant way. I think this is one of those things that we saw coming a little bit last year, but we saw it in spurts because of the fact that they had two NBA caliber freshmen on their team. Um, when you have uh, Devin Vassell and Patrick Williams on your team, you're going to get a bit overshadowed when you know that those two guys are guys who eventually went on to be top 14 picks in the NBA draft. So it's a little bit difficult to outshine those guys. But MJ Walker was a guy who was relatively decent at scoring the ball last year. And I think now it's been, he was also dealing with injuries throughout last year as well, especially on the tail end. And I think he's a guy who's really embraced the role that he's been, been thrusted into. I think 15.8 points per game is just about up his alley in terms of what his offensive skill set is, averaging nearly three rebounds and nearly three assists as well. I think the big thing for him that stands out to me is his efficiency from the floor because he's shooting nearly 45% from the floor and 41% from three. That's something that I think has been huge for Florida State because he's been able to be a guy that can knock down big shots down the stretch. And they give the, they are more than open to giving him the ball on a regular basis and letting him do his thing. But the fact that he's converting that way is so well. And the second thing 
is Scotty Barnes has become a lead facilitator at the forward spot? Like, what? He's averaging 11 points per game and nearly four rebounds per game, which is a bit underwhelming for a guy who coming into the year, both me and you were debating um, and actually favoring him as a potential lottery pick in the NBA draft. And I still think he has the kind of build for that, uh, but he hasn't really shown it from an efficiency standpoint as a stretch big, but he's shown it in every other facet of his game. He can still average double digit points. He leaves the team in assists with 4.2, which literally the next best person on their roster in that department is MJ Walker with 2.3. So he's gotten double the amount of assists as the lead guard on the team. He's averaging nearly two steals per game. And he's shooting nearly 50% from the floor. It's literally just his three-point shot that just seems to not want to go through the hoop. But other than that, it seems as though Scotty Barnes has just been a guy who's been the definition of a Swiss Army knife. And I think if he can get that three-point shot down pack, the Seminoles are more than a threat in not just the ACC, but moving forward because they're a team you might, might as well pencil in to at least the Sweet 16 if Scotty Barnes can shoot the three well. And I think Sky Barnes, in my opinion, kind of underperformed in his first couple games. But I think he's really become another solid option for Florida State. I had high hopes for him going into this season as the lead scoring option or the second lead scoring option for Florida State. And he's really starting to pick it up right now. He's averaging 11-4-4 and one and a half steals a game. And he's getting it done on both sides of the floor. And like you mentioned, if he can improve that three-point shot, he's going to be a deadly scorer for Florida State. Like you mentioned, I think the thing that impressed me the most is Florida State's guards and how consistent they've been. MJ Walker is averaging almost 16 points a game. He's shooting over 40% from the field and from three. Anthony Polite is averaging 10-5. and five. He's shooting over 50% from the field and from three. So I think Florida State has three solid NBA prospects right now on their team, and I feel like this team is as good as the team last year. I feel like the expectations now are what the expectations were last year, Elite Eight, Final Four. I feel like they have that capability this year. Yeah, I think Florida State is still a legitimate team. I think that they're in a good set of circumstances right now. I think Scotty Barnes just has to start cooking. He plays really well when the top, when the stakes are extremely high. We saw that when he got a coast-to-coast game winner earlier on in the year. He's a, he's also – I mean, he showed up big in games against Montverde, which I guess some would say it's Montverde. How many shootouts did they really get into? But they've also had a lot of uh, really interesting tournaments down the line, and he's been a guy who – has thrived in postseason play, at least in high school. So I hope and look forward to him being able to kind of expand on that resume while doing so in the ACC. So moving on now to Pittsburgh. Jalen, what do you believe Pittsburgh needs to do in order to win the ACC tournament? So I think this one is dicey because they would definitely not be anywhere in my pick for that. But Justin Champagne is a guy who they need back desperately. He's out for six to uh, he's been out for six to eight weeks. This was as of December twenty second. So this is a guy that they hopefully will start start hearing a little bit more about over the next couple of weeks in particular. If they can get this guy before the midway point of February and get him back into the mix, I think that they could be in a really good situation overall because I think moving forward they're going to be in a really good position where. 
they can get a good handful of their ACC play down pack and then close out strong with a guy in Justin who averages 18, basically 18 points per game, 12.3 rebounds per game and shoots nearly 50% from the floor. So I think that when you get that kind of influx of talent, the fact that they've been able to stir the ship this far for uh, six and two for Pitt so far, um, I think they're in a really good set of circumstances overall where they can pretty much they 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 have the the talent in Justin specifically they have the talent to potentially run the table down the stretch if they can get him back healthy because once you get into the ACC tournament it's winner go home and i think Justin plays relatively well relatively strong at 66 200 pounds to the point that they're going to be able to lean on him throughout the ACC and there's not a lot of big guys in the ACC you should fear so I think Pitt might have one of the better offensive players in the ACC. And if they get him back just in time for postseason play, I'm not saying that they'll win the whole thing, but they sure as heck will be a scary team moving throughout the bracket. And Champagne has been a double-double machine for Pittsburgh, averaging almost 18 points and 12 rebounds a game. He's shooting 49, almost 49% from the field. And if you look at the past five games, he's put up a double-double in three of them against uh, Northern Illinois, Northwestern, and Gardner-Webb. In that mix, he's put up two double-doubles where he's had 20 points and 20 rebounds. So that has been the most impressive thing about Champagne. And this is a guy that Pittsburgh really needs to have back, especially when the ACC tournament comes around. And they've also been getting some really solid production at the guard position. First with Xavier Johnson, who's averaging 14 points a game and five assists shooting 41.5% from the field. He had 21.7 rebound performance against Northwestern, and he's averaged in the double digits in four of the past five games. Like I mentioned, 21 points against Northwestern, 12 points against Gardner-Webb, 10 points against Louisville, 12 points against Syracuse. And then Audis Tony, who's averaging close to 16 points a game and six rebounds, and he's shooting 52% from the field. Tony's another guy that gives Pittsburgh another scoring option on the floor. He put up a double-double against Syracuse, 12 points and four rebounds. He had an 18-8 and eight performance against Northwestern. He put up 15-5 and five against Miami. Jalen, there's three guys that can make Pittsburgh a great team, and especially when they get Champagne back, I feel like Pittsburgh could be a dangerous team going forward. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for them is, I mean, we know that that's the case. Tony has also been somebody who's – Tony and Johnson have both been guys who have contributed on the defensive end as well, both averaging at least a steal per game. Per game. Xavier Johnson's averaging almost a steal and a half per game, and he's their lead facilitator with 5.4 assists. Um, the biggest thing for me with this team is that they scare me in terms of free throw shooting and Pittsburgh is going to be in a lot of close games come ACC tournament time because no team is just going to lay down and be blown out come postseason time. And their best rotational free throw shooter is Xavier Johnson and he's only shooting 73.8% and he's one of the lead guards for the team. I think that's going to be a big hindrance for them because if they cannot hit free throws, 
they're going to be in trouble against some of these better teams that we've already listed out. The Louisvilles of the world are not going to let them slide by any, by any means. I even think teams like Virginia and Virginia tech are so good as collective scoring teams that if you don't hit free throws, you're going to be in trouble in postseason play. And I think it's going to come down to all Tony and Xavier Johnson making those clutch free throws. Moving on now to Syracuse and I'll pose the same question as I did with Pittsburgh. Jalen, what does Syracuse have to do to make it to the top of the ACC and win the ACC tournament? I know this sounds kind of crazy, but I think I think it's that they have to get Joseph Gerard III going. He's a guy who has had a lot of upside. He was a dude coming out of high school that was, like, very renowned. And when it came to putting him – in a guard, uh, in a, a guard, guard backcourt with Buddy Beheim, I kind of figured that in year two with Buddy, that things would kind of open up. But instead, I mean, he's playing relatively well. He is playing low. He is playing like relatively high minutes for his position. Um, eleven points, four point four assists, nearly two steals per game. Like, I'm not hating on him by any stretch, but he's a guy who I know can put the ball in the basket. Um, on a consistent basis if you watched him back at high school. But I'll tell you this. The big thing that I think is that's going to get Syracuse through the ACC is that they show up on defense. Like, it's not even arguable. I mean, they've got multiple guys that are averaging either a steal and a half or nearly two steals per game. I mean, they've got, they've got one guy off the bench in Kadarius Richmond who literally is averaging 2.1 steals, and he's coming off the bench. Obviously, their lead, their lead guy is Quincy Guerriere, and he's averaging 16.4 points, 9.5 rebounds, and he's shooting nearly 60% from the floor. Um, Buddy Beheim is an X factor for me because when he gets hot, he is he's a different animal. Like, seriously, he is a – different animal 15.6 points per uh per game on the year the 37 point um the 37.8 percent from the floor is the part that really kind of concerns me but I mean like I said before and he's a guy who he will put it up I mean granted it wasn't great shooting splits against Pitt but he even hoisted it up 10 times in that game. And granted, it might have been a detriment to the team because they ended up losing by only three points. So only so one more of those threes could have made this a, a, a tie ball game. And two more of those threes could have put this in a put this as a win in favor of Syracuse. But Buddy will he will pull the trigger. He is not scared. He is the ACC's version of Peyton Pritchard in scary ways in terms of hoisting the ball up. So I think that this team is in a situation where they just they just need to continue to buckle down on defense the way they are, and they're getting a lot of offensive production. I just think Gerard III is a guy who – I don't know what it is, but he seems like one of those guys who's going to flip the switch and go crazy in the postseason if, uh, if they give him the opportunities. Yeah, and the offensive production is there with guys like Garrier, Griffin, Beheim, Doljaj, and Gerard III all averaging in the double digits more than 11 points a game, I think it's really going to have to come down to defense. I do agree that Buddy Beheim is a guy who is not afraid to take those shots when he needs to, but sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. He's averaging close to 38% from the field, almost 31% shooting from three. 
This is a team, however, that likes to get to the line. Like I mentioned with the top five uh, leaders in terms of points, Garrier, Griffin, Beheim, Dolzhaj, and Gerard, all of them are averaging over 70% shooting from the free throw line. In some cases with Dolzhaj and Gerard, 84% from the line. So this team loves to draw fouls. They love to get to the line and they're able to make shots from the line when they get there. So the offensive production, that part is down, but I agree. I think the defense needs to step up and I feel like when they get it done on both sides of the floor, Syracuse has been a staple on the ACC and they've gotten it done in March before. So I wouldn't be surprised if they get it done in March again. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with them moving forward really is not going to do anything with their offense. It's going to do more with them continuing to be very feisty on defense and continuing to just play physical because that's honestly what's gotten Syracuse the furthest. That full that full court press is no joke. <laughs> it is something that teams are not the biggest fan of and is one of those things that is extremely hard to break. And we've seen that prosper in years past. And I think it's something that if they continue to be really active like they are and play with the kind of, you know, physicality that they that they have played with so far this year I think they're in a really good position because they've got plenty of buckets to go around so moving on now to our sleeper picks Jalen who is your sleeper pick in the ACC now I'm big boy biased so I'm just going to throw that out there right now I've looked at the schedulings for them and I already know that I'm probably on the wrong side of history for this one but I'm going to go with the, the North Carolina Tar Heels, bro. I Honestly, I think they're in a really good position where they've been able to hang relatively well. All of their losses, all of their losses could have been swing losses. The loss to Texas early in the year, two-point loss. The loss to Iowa felt legitimate, but they legit also held Luca Garza relatively in check. We actually talked about this earlier in the year. That was just a team that had a really good three-point shooting night, and that's what helped them hoist up a 13-point win over, over North Carolina. Otherwise, they played relatively well on a guy who's going to potentially be, you know, voted in as the national player of the year, potentially, and they held him to under 20 points in that game. The loss to NC State, three-point loss. The loss to Georgia Tech, that was a six-point loss so I mean they're in a really good position or that was a five-point loss but they're in a really good position overall where all of their losses have been relatively respectable now my biggest thing for them is that they gotta see Clemson they gotta see Duke twice and we know how that game gets um and they got they got them on the road and they got them on the road to end um in things they got they got them on the road early and then they've got them at home um to end the season off um on March the 6th so it's scary i think the biggest thing that'll that'll either help or hurt north carolina's resume is this on the 2nd of february they have clemson on the 6th they have that duke game that's at duke miami is no slouch and then they have Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Louisville. That six-game stretch will determine a lot about how far North Carolina can go way, way before the last game of the season where they get Duke back at home. So I think if they can come out of that at least 500, I think that will prove to me enough to say that they're going to be a dangerous enough team in the ACC tournament to make headwaves and potentially still get voted in um, as a low-seeded NCAA team that can make some noise. 
I also agree with North Carolina as my sleeper pick, but for different reasons. I think that the six-game stretch that you mentioned, it's going to have to come down to how well their forwards play. And I'm talking about Armando Baycott, Garrison Brooks, and uh, Deron Sharp. Baycott's averaging 11 points, eight rebounds a game on 63% shooting from the field. Garrison Brooks, almost 11 points a game, almost eight rebounds a game, and he's averaging a block a game as well. He's shooting the ball well, 44% from the field, and then Deron Sharp is averaging close to 10 and eight a game, and he's shooting 50% from the field. I think it's going to come down to those three guys and how well they play. I do expect Caleb Love to step up in a lot of ways, RJ Davis as well, Leaky Black. I want them to have double-digit performances coming into those games. But I think, like you mentioned, the, the two big games against Duke, I think those are make-or-break games. And I know those are the big rivalry games for North Carolina, but I think that – I think it's all going to come down to the play of the three forwards, Brooks, Sharp, and Baycott. But I think it's going to be a team effort in order to knock off Duke. I mean, I – I I agree that they need to ball out, but I actually would almost like disagree in terms of who actually needs to step up the most. I think the fact that Caleb Love and RJ Davis are not the like the lead the lead guards we thought they were for this team or thought they were going to be for this team is kind of unsettling, and they're the ones that are going to have to step up if this team wants to go far. It seems as though if you look at the forwards. Everybody has been relatively consistent, averaging anywhere between 10 to 12 points, averaging about eight rebounds per game each. All of them have their hands in lanes, averaging nearly a steal per game, except for Baycott. He's averaging about half a steal. And then in terms of blocks, everybody's averaging about a block per game. Everybody's averaging just under two turnovers per game. Everybody's shooting 60 plus percent from the free throw line. Like, it's one of those things where they've been all kind of a model of consistency in terms of what kind of production they're giving. Caleb Love is a guy who, I mean, man, he was supposed to be somewhere in the mix as a potential first round pick as well. And so far he's looking like a guy who might end up having to come back to school just to improve that draft stock. I think RJ Davis and Caleb Love work. I don't necessarily know how much faith I'm putting in Leaky Black, just because he's a guy who does not shoot the three ball well at all. He is kind of, you know, a body out there for this team. And it's one of those things that is probably the biggest concern for them is the fact that they really lack three point shooting across the board. If we look at it, they don't really have a single player who shoots the three relatively well. Garrison Brooks is actually their best three-point shooter at 66.7%, and I'm sure that's not on more than maybe two to three attempts per game. Other than that, their backcourt has uh, their backcourt being Caleb Love and R.J. Davis have 18% from the three-point line and 29.2% from the free-throw line. I'll put it to you like this, Ryan. I love I love UNC, and I'm praying that they can kind of get things together. But there's not going to be any form of turnaround unless somebody on this team can wake up from beyond the arc and start hitting shots consistently. Because if they can't do that, they're not beating anybody. And I know that the record indicates otherwise, but that's because their forwards have been able to carry them so far. In winner-go-home scenarios, that three-point shot is going to be crucial. And I think it's going to be on not only just the forwards, Baycott, Brooks, and Sharp, but also Caleb Love and R.J. Davis. I know 
that I mentioned that those two games between Duke are going to rely heavily on the play of guys like Baycott, Brooks, and Sharp, but it's going to rely even more heavily on guys like Caleb Love and RJ Davis, who, like you mentioned, are not shooting well from the field or from beyond the arc. Like you mentioned, there isn't really one one player on North Carolina that's really shooting the ball well from three. So I feel like there's a lot of factors to have to think about in order to consider North Carolina a true contender in the ACC. Truly a definition of a dark horse, bro. Everything has to go right. Everything has to slide in their favor. They have to look themselves in the mirror. Like I said, I might be playing this one based on my fandom because I really I've liked North Carolina as a team, as a um, as a basketball team for a while. But I think this is one of those years where they're truly going to have to buckle down and improve in a lot of areas, and they're going to have to unfortunately figure out some of these plot holes throughout ACC play, which is rough because these are not games you can just throw away. But I'm remaining on my pivot when it comes to that. And I genuinely believe that if they can get, get it right. I think Caleb love is the X factor for this team. If he wakes up in ACC play, I think they're scary. So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, who is one team in the ACC that you believe can win the ACC tournament and make a run in March madness. This has been a great episode today on the hoop talk podcast. Of course, make sure we subscribe to us on Apple you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.